Welcome, citizens. I'm Allie Grauer. And I'm Drew Merzieski. And, and this, this is Warda. grand finale of Winds of Change. We would like to dedicate this finale to our Patreon patrons, without whom none of this would be possible. Thank you, each and every one of you. Before we begin, a brief word regarding the content of this finale. Part 2 contains some mature moments and issues such as violence, acts of terrorism, and death. If you are new to Warda, welcome. If you've been listening the whole time, welcome back. We hope you enjoy. Winds of Change. The Finale. Part 2. Griff runs through the trees back towards the truck as the alarms ring around him. He pushes through overhanging limbs and branches and leaps a fallen log. The terror is arising in him. They'll be here soon. They'll catch them and then... He won't let that happen. He won't let them have their way. Griff breaks into the clearing at a full run. Will snaps to his feet, his blade already out. Alarms! Do you hear the alarms? Get in the truck. Get in the smishing truck. What the cagging thing is going on? It looks like we're made. No, you think? A bolt of energy cracks in the air, making a fist-sized dent in the side of the truck. Griff and Will wheel about. Four Johnny guards run 20 feet in the air above them, crop strikes pointed in their direction. Get in the truck! More cracks, more metallic thuds as the side of the truck is pelted with spells. The two humans scramble for the doors and wrench them open. A force spell takes the side mirror clean off as Griff closes the door. Go! Go! Go, 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 go! go and keep your smithing hands on! Will guns the Mechanica engine, and it clicks to life, clattering like a thousand wheel legs moving in unison. The truck grips the dirt, spinning its wheels for catching purchase and propelling them forward across the clearing and down the road. The spells begin to rain on the back end of the truck. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Griff looks out his window to see guards in hot pursuit. They're climbing higher. Looks like they're going to try and catch us by gliding. When I tell you to turn left, wait for it, now! Will wrenches the wheel to the left, and the truck nearly topples as they head down a more centralized road of the estate. Good. Now, uh, take this right up here. Uh, now this left, go straight, now left. Whoa! I, I said I left. only got the one arm! The truck pulls a sharp left and careens into a central plaza in the shadow of the main tower. Fay and human servants scatter before them, driven out of the way as the truck smashes into a cart, spilling produce everywhere. Where are we going? If we can make it off the estate, we can lose them in the alleyways. That's if we get off the estate? There is an access gate right through here. The truck bucks as they take another turn at full speed. 
An iron black gate stands in front of them, open and inviting them to freedom. Will presses his foot down, and the truck picks up speed. They are yards away, when six Johnny drop from the sky in front of them like thunder. The sacred geometry leaps from their hands, combining into a giant circle, glowing ominously. Turn! The gust of wind narrowly misses the truck, instead taking out three fruit stands in a shower of lemons and wood. The truck rises off its wheels from the sudden turn, and Will and Griff lean. The truck lands hard, riding itself over the cobblestones. That was close. Too close. What do we do? We get the... A flutter of wings inserts itself into Griff's face. He can feel tiny hands gripping his eyebrows as he blinks, his eyes trying to shield themselves. He recoils and instinctively goes to swat away whatever is attacking his face. Only the shrill, insistent yelling of the pixie wink jogs his mind from its adrenaline-addled state to stop himself. She's sending the signal! She wrote down my name! She's sending the signal! What's she on about? Kalith wrote down her name with intention. Wink's being summoned. And that's the signal! She calls! I need to answer! Be off with you then! Griff nudges the pixie out the window. She is gone in a flash, dodging between blasts of magical energy. What's the plan? Push the button, and we get out. Whoa, whoa! We are too close! If we open up that cagger now, we'll be caught in it. Kalaith is expecting us to pull this off, Will. At the expense of our lives. Well, she's nothing if not consistent. We'll get further out. We can dodge these whistlers and set it off from a safe distance. We can't. Why not? This ain't about Kalaith, Will. I got a plan, and it starts with this. What the dare are you swishing about? They're out there right now, talking about humans. Making choice for humans. Saying what's best for humans. They think they know what will make us happy. But they've never asked us. I'm done asking to be heard. I'm done trying to explain it to them. It's time we did what we need to do. They say nothing for a brief moment as what Griff has said sinks into Will's mind. He takes another hard turn, this time further into the estate, back towards the package. You were going to set this credent thing off even if she didn't signal us, weren't you? Griff gives a lopsided grin as the sound of heavy boots landing on the ceiling of the cab assaults them. They both look up, and a gruff voice yells out magically amplified. By order of Lord Jardine Fleet, you will stop this vehicle, humans. Will's eyes flick from the road, to the roof, to Griff, and he gives his own sly smile. Never wanted to die old. Griff flips the switch on the device and holds his finger over the button. When I press this, you drive as fast as you can for the eastern gates. If we make it that far, I'll guide you from there. Crisp? Will nods. Before he can press the button, the driver door of the truck is torn free and a massive Johnny with skin the color of a hot summer noon reaches in. Will screams, releasing the wheel. Like a striking snake, he pulls his blade and embeds it into the Johnny's eye. The Johnny screams, but latches his other hand into Will's hair, and Will jams the blade further. It's enough, and the Johnny lets go. Will kicks the Johnny square in the chest, and the body careens off the door frame and into a passing tree with a sickening crunch. Will grips the wheel again, and turns the truck sharply east as Griff presses the button. At the base of the tower, nestled between two trees, Next to a few discarded crates and late-blooming daffodils, the iron cauldron's mechanica lid 
dings, and then releases, cracking open. Ripping winds and howling gales rush from the cauldron as a vortex of wind and lightning tumbles forth, growing to the height of the tower in less than an eye blink. Like a drunken cat, the vortex twists into the tower, shattering stone and scattering rubble and lightning in all directions. What's left of the tower leans precariously before sundering at its base and toppling westward. Its massive form crashes into the fleet estate, spilling out into the ward proper, crushing buildings instantly. Plumes of dust and debris explode upward, only to be caught in the ever-expanding vortex and tossed into the wind. Griff leans out of the truck, watching the destruction in their wake as they drive down the cobblestones. Get back inside! No! I need to see this. The truck swerves violently as half of a completely intact kitchen drops out of the sky at them. It is raining rocks and debris, bits of stone cut into Griff's body. He dodges one, but not fast enough, and receives a gash across his cheek. Still, he looks on as the tornado expands, growing bigger with each passing second, swallowing buildings, trees, and people instantly. Griff pulls himself away from the beautiful chaos and sits back in the cabin. You're bleeding, mate. Forget it. Where are we? We're almost to the gate. Good. Take Zephyr Street when we exit. There's a teleport station several streets up. We have to make it. Righto! The gates as they approach them are already open. It is chaos beyond them. Fae and humans are running in all directions, frantic to escape the sudden disaster. Griff, there are people in the way. Go over them. What? If we don't make that teleport station, we die. Will sets his jaw and guns the engine. Griff does his best to ignore the thugs of bodies as they hit them. He leans out the window, yelling at people to move out of the way. He looks back at the towering monster he has created. Griff looks at the storm with a critical eye. The way it moves, the way it wants to dance. With horror, he sees what it will do next and his mouth goes dry. Go faster! I am going faster! It needs to be faster! We have to get out of here before that storm! They turn a corner and into a square, a teleport station dominating its back half. The building is thronged by people trying to enter it. To escape the devastation that is surrounding him, they are jammed together like schools of fish caught in a net. There's the teleport station! Head right to the front doors. We're not ditching the truck? No, we're not done yet. But the people! They won't be the last to die today. Will puts his foot to the floor. Hang on! The truck plows through the crowd, up the steps, and in through the large glass entryway. The double doors shatter as the truck smashes its way into the foyer, leaping like a fish fighting its way upstream. Will wraps his foot around the brake and pulls... The truck squeals, attempting to stop, but the momentum has carried them too far. Griff yells, gripping his seat, as a wall mosaic of House Fleet Estate looms in front of them. Will turns the wheel into the skid, crashing sideways into the tiled mosaic. Will groans, rubbing the back of his neck with his hand, but Griff swats him, pointing towards the line of open entryways before them. 
the placard above each reading various locations around the city. Griff's eyes lock onto the placard that reads, The Posh Way. There! That one! That one right there! Miraculously, the truck lurches forward. They screech across the foyer, people leaping out of the way. The truck nears the opening, and Griff can see the telltale shimmer of a teleport spell in activation. They're gonna make it. Out of the corner of his eye, Griff sees the Ifriti first. She exited the crowd, running towards them, her warden coat bright against the gray stone foyer. Her hand raised, sacred geometry pointed at them. He sees her, and he knows that this is it. This is the end of his grand plan. Even if she doesn't obliterate them, they'll never escape. But he refuses to look away and stares her down into her yellow eyes. He's so intent upon her that he doesn't feel Will push past him and leap from the truck at her. Griff yells at Will, trying to claw him back into the truck. But he's out, and in midair, his smirk wide. Griff watches in slow motion as Will takes the full brunt of the Ephrides' fire spell before slamming into her. With a flash, he's through the portal. Griff feels the world lurch about him and then go dark before re-emerging into a gilded station empty of a single soul. The truck skids to a halt in the center of the foyer, belching steam. The station is eerily quiet but there is no time to acknowledge what has happened. Griff slides over to the driver's seat and revs the engine and drives out the front gate into the empty streets of the poshway. Not a fay or human walks the streets, and Griff can see that the roofs about the station are full of fay looking southwest. As he pulls into the main streets, Griff hears the boom he knew was coming. The fay on the roofs gasp. He turns onto the road, and then down an alleyway to prep for his next move. To the southwest at the Fleet Estate, the monstrous storm grows to its apex. With almost finger-like projections, it seems to reach up to the sky islands above and engulfs it. With a colossal heave, the island is tossed upward, smashing into the second island and knocking it off kilter. The two islands, now free of their bonds, are thrown in a giant arc over the ward. They hang, suspended in the air for a moment before relinquishing to gravity's embrace. They fall like stars in opposite directions. Massive tons of stone and earth landing with devastating fury upon the ward and then skidding, crushing all in its wake. The third and smallest sky island, no longer connected to its larger kin, plummets into the estate, shattering into pieces. The storm lasted only five and a half minutes, but its effect throughout the city is felt for all time. Nothing happens. Kalith looks down at her forearm, the word, wink, now dripping with her own blood. She looks up at the startled faces of the other househeads, then back to her own arm. Igli steps up to her, placing his hand on her knee and patting gently. Nothing is happening. 
Thank the dare for that. I don't understand. I've seen enough. The girl's obviously disturbed. Lutado, please do something. Control your daughter. I second the motion. Claith, let's go. He said he'd be ready. He promised me. If we are lucky, Griff was caught. I'll see what I can do. It will be all right. Is there any other business we need to discuss, since we're all here? I have some items we could discuss. I hope it will not take long. My family is expecting me for dinner. We can keep it short. Glaith, come, sit with me. With all respect you are due, my lord. Perhaps your daughter might need a moment? Sit. No. Kalaith begins to walk toward her father, moving like in a dream. This isn't happening to her. This is someone else's life that is unraveling. It has to be. She sees her father smiling in front of her, so smug in his victory. How had he known her plans could be undone so easily? She is at Lutado's table when a boom is heard. All talk stops as the heads of house stand. What the mab was that? The shockwave rolls over them. It is not destructive, but significant. A physical punch to their insides that makes Kalaith smile. She turns away from her father, returning to her own seat defiantly. Oh dear. What the cag was that? <laughs> I'm sure it was nothing. Perhaps a spell backfiring, or one of those mechanical trucks has broken down. It is nothing. It doesn't feel like nothing. Do you hear that? They strain to hear what Lady Ardeo is speaking about. I hear nothing. Precisely. Bring me a pixie. I, I want to figure out what is happening. Same. Bring me three. Find out where that came from, and get me a report. The meeting devolves into the rushing of servants and frantic discussion. Lutado watches his daughter, and she, in turn, watches him. The world dissolves around them, and as time passes, Kalaith sees his face grow contorted with anger. The news begins to flood in, from servants and Mechanica. A trickle, at first, single words or silence, but as the hour passes, more begins to cascade in, painting a thousand different pictures. We are getting reports in from all over the city. Sources are saying it's some sort of attack from the outside. Sources say it's a coup against the dare. It's a coup by the dare against the high houses. Against the guilds? Against the other Sealy. It was only a magical explosion. An arcanic experiment's gone wrong. It was a weather malfunction. At the fleet estate. The entire ward is affected. Damaged. Destroyed. Thousands are dead. Tens of thousands. The ward is in ruins. Wardens are trying to respond, but... Until finally, a beleaguered pixie in Fleet House Colors arrives. Fleet Manor has been destroyed, my lord. I have just returned from the devastation. A cyclone of impossible size descended upon it. You have lost everything. What of my wife, my, my children? None survived. None? None, sir. All eyes are on Jardine Fleet in this moment. The news is heard by everyone, and the weight of it makes the air reek of dread and unspoken shock. Jardine rises from his chair and flings the table 40 feet over the heads of the assembly with a gust of sudden wind. It crashes against the far wall, splintering into a thousand pieces. Before anyone can stop him, he has crossed the courtyard 
and is looming over Kalaith and Igli, his eyes full of fury and lightning. What's this you? Let us calm ourselves, my lord. Did you kill my family to prove your point? This is ludicrous, John Dane. How could Kalaith- What's this you? Yes. <gasps> there is an audible gasp, and Lady Shrewsbury slumps to her chair as if dazed. Kalaith stands, meeting Jardane's fury with her own. They are an inch from each other, and the rage is nauseating, waves of it radiating from between the two of them. I warned you. I warned all of you. Thousands of Fey are dead. Collateral damage. True change is never simple. And next time you underestimate me. Next time? There will not be a next time, young lady. Lady Gaynor stands, her back straight and her face stern. I am appalled. Simply appalled. I thought that you could sink no lower than killing your own brothers, but I was sorely mistaken. You are a monster, Quileth Serene, and I will spend every last drop of strength I have making sure that you are locked away for your crimes. It will be war. I swear it. I will be avenged for the death of my family and see your head on a spike. Jardane, please. What Kalaith has done goes beyond what I thought her capable, but going to war with her is... Oh, it's not with her. I do not solely blame her. You did this, Lotado. Me? <laughs> what do I have to do with any of this? You could have stopped her at any time, Lutardo. You told Jardane and I as much. You let her run wild, and now she's destroyed everything. You are to blame for this as much as she is. My war is upon House Serene, and I make it a formal declaration under Article 10 of the Code of Governance. Do I have a second? Second. And do I have allies? Gaynor will fight with you to see this injustice righted. I go where you go, Jardane. You have my support. Luminessa? No, Jardane. I don't like you. Pixie? Even after that most flattering proposal, House Bell abstains courteously. Fine. Drake and Brillum will come to my side when they hear this. Mark my words, I will see you both destroyed for this and House Serene's name obliterated from history. By Amun's death, I swear it. Jardine Fleet takes one last long look at Calaith before he turns on his heel and leaves. Gaynor and Drame follow suit, Lady Shrewsbury not even looking in Calaith's direction as she gathers up her entourage and leaves. Calaith looks about her, the tide of her support and adversaries receding back into the city. Some faces she expected to see flowing out, others... Calaith catches eyes with Elspeth Selzy and Alec Puffleton, the heads of her Tidesguard. The look she receives from them is dead and hollow. She rises to beckon them to her, but Elspeth's face contorts in disgust. They leave her. Quillard, Alec, the twins, Jayan, Torrance, and finally, Elspeth. None of them look back. In less than five minutes, the square is nearly deserted. The last remnants of Lutado and Luminessa's contingent still holding their positions. But Calaith sits alone at her table her servants and retainers gone with that rushing tide, leaving only herself and Igli standing beside her. Good riddance, I say. 
Shrewsbury was becoming ever such a self-righteous bore. Oh, shut up, Kulaith. Ugly, you little beast! How dare you wound me in this, my hour of need? Well, I'm sure you will survive. Somehow. Quite. I am ever so hardy in that way. But the truth is that I don't know the first thing about running a war. Or a high house. You too, just. I just think that a really good leader wouldn't have needed to hurt all those fey to make a point. Well, technically Griff did the actual hurting. I merely ordered him to do it. You sent Griff? You mean he's out there right now? Of course. Right in the thick of it all. Probably having the time of his life. So who is the real monster here, hmm? Him or me? It is most definitely you. And even father. I really have been naughty, haven't I? Extremely so. I'd give it to them right now if I thought it would solve anything. Come, come now, father. We must be civil. We all have to fight a war together now. Lutado, do you mind if I have a word? Of course not. Glaith, come. I am not your hound. I will do what I please. And it will please you to listen to Luminessa. He is right. You will want to hear what I have to say. Kalaith screws up her face in anger, but follows her father to the table where Luminessa is sitting. As they begin to sit, Gist alights herself upon Igli's shoulder to whisper into his ear, Is Griff really out there right now? Unfortunately, he is. It was a mistake to send him. I told her, but she did insist. Can I go find him? He might need my help. Do. See if you can get him back here so we can start preparations. I haven't a clue how we're going to make this work, but I haven't got a choice. She salutes and starts to fly away when she gets a familiar ping in the back of her brain. She stops in mid-flight, hovering over the center of the pavilion. Someone has written her name down and summoned her. She twists about, fighting down panic. Is it Griff? Is it Kernan and Maeve? She looks inward and knows instinctively that she does not have far to go to find her summoner. Just sighs, then drifts slowly over to the tiny pavilion set up for Jangle and the delegates from House Bell. As she gets closer, Jis can see that Jangle Bell is seated at a small table. He is dining, an intricate embroidered napkin tucked into his shirt. At his side stands perhaps the biggest, most intimidating pixie just has ever seen. The bruiser stands next to Jangle, arms crossed in House Bell liberally, silently protecting Jangle, who is currently delicately eating a sliced strawberry. Just stands just outside the awning and bows. You summoned me? Ah, yes, Just Do come and take a seat. She does so, picking up a chair, flipping it around, and straddling it. She rests her elbows on the back of the chair and smiles. Jangle's eyebrows raise slightly, but he continues to eat. Can I get you something? Fruit? Roasted beetle? Marzipan? No, thank you, sir. I'm too worried to eat. I'm sorry to hear that. Did you not enjoy the meeting? I'm not sure enjoy is the right word. Maybe tolerate? Endure? How did you endure the meeting, then? Well enough. I'm worried about Griff, though. Igli said he might be out there right now. Oh, he is. Wink relayed the message to one of my informants. He was the one who flipped the switch. Really? Is he okay? The message did not say, but knowing him, I would guess so. 
I need to get to him. She rises, placing her feet on the chair and spreads her wings. I did not dismiss you. Gist grits her teeth and turns around, still standing on the chair. She curtsies sarcastically. Do sit down, Gist. I'd rather stand. Jangle sighs and pushes away his plate of half-eaten berry. You know, this always happens. I choose you. You accept willingly and are humble and obedient for a time. But it always comes to this. Each one of you always rebels. Maybe pixies just don't like being told what to do. Hardly. No. I think that you chafe because I'm a pixie. I'm not one of the big folk. And so you can't wrap your narrow scope around taking orders from me. It'd be fascinating if it wasn't so tragic. Is there something I can do for you, sir? Last night I asked for your loyalty. And you said I had some time to think about it. You have had time, and now it is time to make a choice. Who do you stand with? Your people? With House Bell? Or with them? He gestures over to Kalaith and Lutado and Luminessa. They look like mountains to Gist in the distance, walking, talking mountains that seem to notice them as much as a mountain notices a stone. Couldn't I have a bit more time? It's a really difficult decision. If it is such a difficult decision, then perhaps you have your answer already. There is a pause as Gist reflects on what Jangle has said. She looks off at Mount Kalaith and wonders if he's right. You belong with us, Gist. You belong with other pixies. We're doing incredible things in House Bell, and I want you to be a part of it. Can't I be a part of both? No. You are either with us or you are with them. There is no middle ground. But I care about them. They're my friends. We talked about this. Haven't you ever cared about a big folk before? Ever? A small smile begins to grow at the corner of Jangle's mouth. It is not sarcastic or condescending, but surprisingly genuine, and just is struck by how honest it looks. She sees him remembering something, something fond and distant, and then it is gone, replaced by the Jangle that she knows. Everyone leaves. Come today or tomorrow. They forget you or outgrow you. The only true person you can trust is yourself. I want you to trust yourself, Gist. And that means believing in us. I do want to believe in you. That is good. But this isn't the way. That is not so good. These big folk, they're more than just my friends. I care about them. I want them to succeed. There has to be a middle ground. There is no middle ground. Respectfully then, sir? I think that you're full of smish. I see. Can I go now? And is that your final answer? Turning your back on House Bell? If being a member of House Bell means turning my back on my friends, then yes. I choose them. Thimble, hold her. Before Gist has a chance to react, the large pixie zips across the table and smashes into her. He wraps his meaty arms around her neck. Gist lashes out, kicking over the table as she struggles to free herself. Jangle rises and steps out of the way, still holding a full glass of wine. Gist wiggles, desperate to break his hold, but Thimble squeezes harder. Gist elbows him in the side of the head with all her might. The big pixie yelps 
but holds firm. Just winds up for another hit, but feels Thimble's fingers wrap around the base of her left wing and pull slightly. She freezes as the pain shoots up her back, and she knows what he's planning. Shane, that was good marzipan. Let me go! Yeah, no. You see, I can't have a special pixie like you running around doing dare knows what without my say-so. I'm afraid I'll need to remove you from the game. What are you gonna do, rip my wings off? That is a thought. Remove you from the game, but still keep you in the game. Interesting. <clears throat> Look, I just want to help my friends. I don't want to be a part of your game or anything. The players do not get to choose if they are in the game. That is how the game works. Something about you placed you in the game. I had hoped you would want to play on my team, but we are beyond that now, I think. I can be persuaded. I think not. If my experience has told me anything, is that you'll fight me sooner or later. Better to take care of you now. Django dabs his mouth with his napkin before dropping it to the ground. He walks across the now stained white tablecloth to where Gist struggles against Thimble's arms. Gist watches each step, her eyes growing wider with fear. I tried that. Believe me, this will be better. There are things I know. Things that will be lost if you kill me. Oh, I know. Jangle reaches out his hand to Jist, placing two fingers on her forehead. Jist can feel the spot begin to grow warm, uncomfortably so. Something deep inside her begins to wiggle and writhe as she can sense Jangle reaching deep into her soul. Her mind pictures it as a small ball of frightened light, trying fruitlessly to escape the outreaching hand, like a bug in a jar. It's only then that the scream reaches her, but it's not her scream. It's Thimble's. Her eyes open to see light pouring from Thimble's eyes. Jangle has a grip on the pixie's shoulder, and he forces him and Jist to the ground. His hand moves over Thimble's mouth, muffling the large pixie's guttural cries. Just transfixed with horror as Thimble begins to dissolve into motes of light, like he was peeling away from existence. The light that was once Thimble is drawn into Jangle's hand and then courses into Gist, strengthening Jangle's connection to her. That little ball of light is panicked now, flittering back and forth. But Jangle is too strong. With a snatch, Jangle grabs it and pulls it. Just feels a tugging sensation, like her insides are being hoisted forward as the ball exits through her to Jangle's two fingers. As it leaves her, Just crumples, a sudden weakness coming over her. She slumps to the ground, watching as Jangle places the golden ball to his temple and soaks it in and closes his eyes with a slight shudder, a smile splitting his face. That is always my favorite part. You, you killed him. Thimble. Oh, of course. Wh why? Because he wasn't special like you. And I needed his life essence to power the spell to extract your sliver. If I had done it, it would have consumed me. My what? 
your sliver. It's, you know what? I don't have time to explain it to you. Let's just say what made you special now makes me even more special than I already am. So what? Now you kill me? <laughs> Why? Why would I do that? You're no longer in the game. I don't understand. I know you don't, you silly little pixie. But now you don't have to worry about it. Just tries to raise herself from off the floor, but stumbles. She grits her teeth, forcing herself to stand and face Jangle. Impressive. It usually takes hours for the effects to wear off. I knew you were special. Why are you doing this? What happened to you? A long time ago. Years ago. I was like you. I was carefree, but scared. I had such big dreams, and I wanted to do so much with so little time left. I think every pixie looks for a way to make their time last longer. But I am, as far as I know, the first to find a way. How? I can't give away all my secrets now, can I? Please. How about this? I'll give you two last secrets for free. I'm going to stop you. I don't know what you're doing, but I'll stop you. I look forward to you trying. He leans into Gist and whispers into her ear. Your first secret is that your friend Grip is in danger. He's planned something very reckless. You might be able to stop him if you try. Head to the potway, you'll find him there. And the second thing? Next time we meet, call me by my real name. Call me by what my friends used to call me. Tippin. Just Tippin. Jangle turns on his heels and flies away, leaving just to mull over his words. He is barely out of sight before she groggily takes to the skies, pointed northeast to the poshway, her pixie wings going as fast as she can. Covered in dust and blood, Griffin Hood sits on the open back of his now-ruined Tuffin confectionery truck in an empty alley. He stares at a blank brick wall as he twiddles with a red crystal in his hands. Around him, he can hear the sounds of distant bells and alarms. Inside his mind, he sees Will leap past him into a torrent of fire. He blinks, and can still see the afterimage on the bricks of Will's smirk. He looks behind him at the three remaining cauldrons, each packed with a different kind of storm. He has just finished rigging them up so that the red stripe and the blue striped ones are pointed toward the walls of the truck in opposite directions. Uh, looks like it's about that time. Griff flips the crystal, catching it midair and shoving it into the pocket of his trousers. He strips off his blood-covered toughened confectionery jacket and hat, dumping them into the trash. He slips into the doorless driver's side and presses the ignition button. The engine clicks to life and Griff's hand goes to the wheel, taking a moment to run his fingers over Will's special driving handle. He shakes his head and pulls a map from the compartment overhead. He spreads it out. The map is specifically for the poshway and is covered in hundreds of X's. One X is circled in red. Griff touches it, confirming it in his mind. He cranks the gears and pulls out into the late afternoon light, turning right. The streets of the poshway are sparsely populated. Only a few fae are going about their business. He drives casually, waving at a few who look in his direction at the beat-up truck. One fairy and her child spot him, immediately making an about-face, but no one stops him. I didn't think it would be this easy. 
What's easy? Oh, oh. Griff flinches back, only to find Gist sitting on the passenger windowsill. Will you not do that? What do you want? I came in to check on you. Oh, Kalaith sent you, huh? We'll let her know the job is done and I'm on my way back. I am here on my own and you are cagging lying to me. Get out, Gist. I got errands to run. In the posh way? In the afternoon? In a spell-pocked truck covered in blood? Griff leans out the front door and looks at the bloody front hood. And your point? I passed ten pixies headed to warden stations on my way here. Minsteth. Griff cranks the gears higher, gathering speed. In the distance, he can hear sirens begin to call. That'd be them. Sounds like three, no, four wagons. If they think you're big enough threat, they'll send out a sky skiff for you. They might even have already. Yes. Thank you, Just. That's very helpful. I know. So, what are we doing? We are not doing anything. You are headed back to Kalaith, and I'm finishing the plan. This isn't part of Kalaith's plan. Not her plan. My plan. I didn't think you had one of those. Well, I do, and it does not include you helping me. Then what is your plan? I'm gonna change things. Ow! By being too big to ignore. I can understand wanting that. Leave, Gist. I don't want to see you get hurt. You're my friend, Griff. I've already lost one through all this. I don't want to lose another one. This is something I got to do. Alone. And there's nothing I can do to change your mind? No. Gist looks out the window at the longer shadows of this golden afternoon, and the truck lurches forward with added speed. How can I help? Please, Gert, there has to be something I can do. Go to Igli and tell him thank you for me. Anything else? No. Just that. Gist flies up to Griff's face and kisses him on the cheek. Then she smacks him. Ow! Don't die, okay? It's not part of my plan. Good. She flies away out the door at top speed, leaving behind the truck and Griff as he speeds down the poshway. Warden wagons closing in. She stops, looking back over the city below her and the path Griff is careening down. She shakes her head, then flies off to find Igly. Back in the truck, Griff wills the car to pick up speed, pressing his feet down as far as they will go. Kalaith and Igly do not notice Jis's predicament or sudden flight to find Griff. They are too preoccupied by Lutado and Luminessa seated in front of them in a now nearly empty pavilion. Kalaith picks at an errant thread on her dress while Igly paces behind her, periodically looking over his second-hand brass watch. Luminessa and Lutado are finishing some conversation that Kalaith has lost interest in. Her mind is wandering resting more uncomfortably on the night that Sandir died. It was here, in this very courtyard. Her eyes stretched the corner where she watched him die. It is an ordinary corner of water and stone, but she can't take her eyes off of it. The thoughts change, shifting from Sandir to Griff for some reason, until she remembers that that was also the night that Griff declared himself the Ascendant. Her mind dances upon thoughts of him. Griff, not Sandir. And also her. 
She remembers that night in her room, that urge to spawn so strong as it cascaded over her and... Glaith? Yes. Yes, Griff. Father. I, I'm, I'm at father. Lady Luminessa has asked you a question. I wasn't listening. Could you ask it again? What is next? I don't follow. Your initial plans have all come of naught. The house moot was a disaster, and it seems that your father will currently be fighting a house war against at least three high houses. You are a failure. That's a bit harsh. The truth does not care how you feel. Oh, how quaint! Philosophy! Shall we let down our hair and discuss morality and the origin of the Sealy next? Forgive her. Sarcasm is her defense mechanism. Oh, is it? Thank you for that information, Mr. Twitchwiggler. Still, the question stands. I don't know. I just don't know what I'm going to do now. I would like to suggest that... No. Daughter, I don't no. think... No. If you just... No, Lutado. Quileth, you need to figure out what you want. Right now. I said what I wanted. What you want is not possible. Accept reality and move forward. Lady Ardeo has a point, my dear. We need a new direction. Let me ask you something first, Lady Luminessa. Please. What is it you want? How do you mean? You could have joined with the others. Four high houses versus House Serene is a death sentence for us. We would have been forced to surrender immediately. Ah, yes. By saying you are not joining Fleet's Alliance, you cast your status in doubt. They had to leave to figure out your next move and give you time to prepare. You single-handedly saved House Serene. You are not incorrect. So why? What do you get out of it? War. And the other three high houses? Trake and Bell will stay neutral. The pixies pose no threat, and goblins are not warriors by nature. <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised. Brillum only cares about money. As long as we can guarantee commerce to continue, they can be bought into neutrality. That is still three houses to two. I have ideas on how to even the odds. But why? Why allow a war? We have our reasons. But they are unimportant right now. We need to figure out what to do with you, Clay. That's easy. Let me join you. It's not that simple. You've committed murder. Both of you have. I think you will find that mur- You gave the order to kill thousands of Fae, which a dozen of witnesses will attest to. You have single-handedly given the city its worst disaster in several millennia. There should be ramifications. But do we really need to? What are you getting at? We could turn you into the authorities, but that might not be as binding soon. Or, better yet, we blame your death on the attack itself and make you a martyr. Thus securing your already rabid following to our cause and appeasing the need for justice from those that have lost loved ones. <laughs> Is this brilliant? Both options have merit. And yet, only one is definitive. It is decided, then. What is decided? Loose ends must not be allowed to hinder us in the coming fight. And you, Kaleth, are a loose end. So what? You're going to kill me, Father? Of course not. We have people for that, dear. 
Luminessa snaps her fingers, summoning seven of her attendants, each an impressively built fay. She waves her hand dismissively towards Igli and Calaith, and turns back to Lutado to continue their discussion. Lutado Serene takes a final look at Calaith and shrugs. He turns back to Luminessa without another word. Calaith and Igli stand, slowly backing their way out of the pavilion as the group begin to circle them, pulling blades and crop strikes. This does not look good. I'm not worried. Nothing a bit of water magic can't fix. This isn't the attack I'm worried about. They've sentenced you to death, Kulaith. This attack might fail, but what of the next one? Or the next one? This is just the beginning. Then what do you suggest? You run. Igli reaches into his coat, pulling the box that Forgan gave him, and places it into Kulaith's hand. He reaches up, shrugging himself out of his coat and dropping it to the floor and gently takes off his hat. He begins to roll up his sleeves, and with each roll, reveals impressively tattooed forearms. What is this for? Think of the safest place you can be. Think on it, and will yourself there. Do you understand? Kalaith opens the box, and pulls from it a single teleportation stick, no bigger than her thumb, the insides of it swirling with shifting colors of space and time. She's got a teleport stick! Go! Kalaith snaps the stick and concentrates on the safest place she can think of. The manor? No, the safety is past. Wavecrest? That's the first place they'd look. The only time she truly felt safe was with Sandir, and Griff's face floats unbidden into Kalaith's mind, and she feels herself dissipate into nothing and pulled into that space between space. As she pops from existence, Igli breathes a sigh of relief. But his relief is short-lived, and he turns his attention back to the matter at hand. That wasn't smart, Gobbin. I don't believe I should be taking advice on intelligence from your ilk. That an insult, Grubber? A simple observation. I'm naturally observant, but I see it as a skill you lack quite spectacularly. The Fae do not answer, instead igniting their crop strikes as they begin to circle Igly. Hard expressions chiseled onto their callous, uncaring faces. I say this because you obviously have never seen a goblin bear their forearms before. A pity you won't live to correct the mistake. With a flash, Igli draws his nail over his forearm, cutting a deep gouge across the tattoos. The blood that wells there is black. He scoops some into his nail and flicks, speckling his assailants, who recoil in shock. A moment later, they begin to scream as the blood upon them begins to wiggle and worm into their pores, digging into their flesh. Good, you're learning. Now, for a final lesson. Igli's tattooed arms begin to glow a fierce green. He smiles his toothy grin and leaps at them. The sound of sirens and alarms greet Kalaith as she reappears. Her mind races to understand the sights and sounds that assault her. Griff is sitting next to her at the wheel of some common truck. What the Mab is all this? Minsty! The truck swerves as Griff attempts to right himself. 
He gapes at Kalaith, trying desperately to look at her and also look at the road ahead of them. What the cag are you doing here? Igli told me to go someplace safe. And you thought I'd be safe? There were Fae trying to kill me. It was a stressful moment. You need to get out of here. I can see that. No, Kalaith. I mean it. You need to go. And where do you suggest? Anywhere other than here. Well, too late now, so what are we doing? We're doing nothing. I'm doing what needs to be done. Are we in the posh way? That was Rita's dress shop we just passed. I love her work. Kalei! I wasn't going to suggest we stop. How obtuse do you think I am? We're in the middle of a high-speed chase. What did you do anyway? Nothing yet. What are you planning to do then? What has to be done? Cryptic, but all right. Look, either you can help me, or you can get out. Fine, fine. I can help. Take a look at that map. Tell me if we're close to the red X on it. Let's see here. Uh, Willoway, Ivy Street, Lower Court. Ah, yes, 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 here we are. Everwatch Square. Uh, looks like it's in a block or so. Close enough. Griff pulls the Mechanica remote from his lap and flips the switch. There is an audible click as the two cauldrons in the truck arm themselves. Hang on to something. He presses the button. Kalaith grabs the seat as the truck lurches forward. There is a simultaneous blast that rattles her insides and she screams. Griff fights to keep the truck level as twin jets of weather explode outward in opposite directions and into the poshway. To the left, a swarth of ice climbing five stories grows outward, spreading in a wide cone that extends impossibly far, crushing and freezing everything in its path. To the right, a similar swarth has been carved but in blistering heat. Hundreds of feet at the initial impact are incinerated. Fires ignite in all directions. The world is chaos and destruction behind them as the truck continues to spew forth, devastation left in its wake. Kalaith has no words. She stares behind them out the window. In moments, the storms are expelled, leaving only an eerie silence. What? What did you do? I did what I always planned to do. You killed them. Who? The Fae? I gave them what they deserved. But there were innocents back then. No one is innocent. Every single Fae in this cagging city is complicit. You killed them without warning. Then it was a mercy they never saw it coming. My parents weren't so lucky. You did this for revenge? Because some schmishy Fae hurt you? No! I'm bringing change. The change we need, but no one is human enough to get done. If no one was going to do it, it might as well be me. Why did you keep this from me? We were supposed to do this together, because we're- In love? I don't love you, Kalaith. I never did. I can see you are upset. Don't you get it? I used you. From that night of the tide turning until now, I have done nothing but use you like the stupid, spoiled, rich little water princess that you are. I took from you what I needed, and now I don't need it anymore. You don't mean that. Oh, I most definitely do. Do you think I put up with your fickle, psychotic nature because I liked it? You gave me access no human has ever had before, and I will not waste it. I can still help. No, Kalei, you can't. You're good as a resource, but not much else. Now sit tight and shut up. 
There have been no alarms, no immediate chase, no sky skiffs screaming from the sky demanding Griff's blood. It is as if the city has been stunned into submission by the brutality it has just witnessed. Kalaith sits back in her seat and steals a glance at Griff. His jaw is set, and his eyes are sharp and cruel. She thinks about leaving, about opening the door to the truck and leafing out. That would show him. Her hand reaches for the lever but stops. She looks at his face again, and perhaps for the first time, looks past what is written on it. Pain. A pain that flows deeper than she ever expected. You need me. I needed you. Now... No. You need me. I won't ask you what you are doing, and I won't help you. But I'll be here for you no matter what. Griff's eyes flit to her and then back. He sighs and shifts gears, speeding up. Kalaith settles, watching the empty streets fall behind them as the sky begins to fill with dark smoke, allowing the setting sun to cast a reddish glow over the entire world. In its own way, it's kind of pretty. Perfection in the imperfections. You know I've always felt that. Let's not spoil this moment with talking, shall we? Drive on, Mr. Hood. We have your plan to accomplish. The gates of the Ivory Glade are unprotected. Its defenders called away to deal with the unprecedented destruction that now besets the wards. The truck passes under the gilded archway at top speed, bumping its way through the gates and into the main square. It is a massive expanse of white marble that leads to an enormous marble staircase. At its center is a golden fountain that emits liquid light. Even at this hour, the square should be full of fae enjoying the late afternoon as it turns the white marble gold and red. But it is empty. In the distance, you can see smoke that dances in dozens of columns to the sky. Hang on to something. Why? I'm going to skid the truck to point backward up the steps. You'll never make that. Watch me. Griff speeds the truck around the fountain in a tight turn and pulls hard on the brake, turning the wheel furiously. They skirt the outside of the fountain, the squeal of the tires and acrid smell of burned rubber in their nostrils. Griff grins. Easy as one, two... Look out! The back end of the truck smashes into the fountain. The truck careens sideways and flips into the air. The world spins about them before throwing Kalaith and Griff from the cabin. They tumble end over end, and Griff feels a sudden peace come upon him. Everything will be okay. He is in complete control. Nothing bad will... He lands hard on the stone and rolls violently. And Griff comes to only a second later, his vision blurred. He groans, trying to push himself to his feet, but he stumbles, falling again on the hard stone. He wipes his face and brings the hand back soaked in blood. He groans again, only now noticing the thousand hurts that rack his body. He wills himself to pull his feet under him, and he hobbles his way to the truck. Oh no. From even this distance, Griff can see the mangled ruins of the poor vehicle. It's twisted metal like a dead spider curled in on itself. How they survived that he did not know. Griff's muddled thoughts catch hold on something. He was here, 
someone else, wasn't he? His mind reaches for it before... Kalaith! He glances around the square, seeing the crumpled form of Kalaith a surprising distance from the wreck. He hobbles towards her a few steps, but stops. He looks to her, and then to the truck. He then looks at the ivory glade, standing just feet in front of him. With agonizing slowness, Griff hobbles his way to the back of the truck. He swings it open with a swift and painful kick to the handle. The doors screech, revealing the still-intact weather cauldron, lounging lazily in its canvas harness. Griff reaches in and grabs the straps and pulls. But the cauldron holds firm. He pulls again, still nothing. Griff settles himself down and places his feet on the cauldron, angling himself towards the opening of the truck. He pushes with all his might. He feels his muscles strain, hearing the pop of his joints and the scream of his body as it descends into agony. Just a bit more! The cauldron gives, settling with its opening facing the open door and straight up the stairs to the ivory glade. Griff pats the cauldron and smiles. Ah, just you and me, Boyo. How about we finish what we started, eh? Leaning on the side of the broken truck, Griff heads towards the front cabin. He kicks the door open and reaches inside, pulling free the control plate. Well, would you look at that? The cagger survived! He turns it over in his hands before dropping it to the ground. He smashes it under the heel of his boot, kicking the remains across the courtyard, and then begins to walk back to the waiting cauldron. He whistles a tune to himself. It's a jaunty little ditty his mother used to whistle to him when he was scared. It kept away monsters in his boyhood, and now it holds back this rising tide of fear and doubt. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out the red crystal. He holds it in his hand, its cool surface warming with his touch. He climbs up the side of the truck and positions himself in front of the cauldron. He breathes in deeply, holding his breath for as long as he can before... It's now or never. Griff reaches deep inside himself and finds that alien sliver of energy he's carried with him for nearly ten years. The raw magic had always been there since he ate that apple. Lurking, but he had ignored it. Out of fear, maybe, or, or perhaps indifference. But it didn't matter. The alien energy responds now, leaping inside him with potential. Griff closes his eyes and pinpoints it, placing the crystal over the spot and faces the ivory glade. With his other hand, he turns the crank on the cauldron, disarming the lid. He reaches to the opening valve and rests his hand on it. He breathes one last breath. Griff! No! Griff's eyes open gently. He smiles sadly at her. You shouldn't have followed me, Kalaith. I'm sorry. Stop! Not this time! No, you idiot! Look out! Griff's eyes follow where Kalaith is pointing, and he turns to see a large Ifriti barreling towards him at a full run. Griff sees the Ifriti's flame-blue eyes trained on him and the glittering knife in his hand. 
He's close enough that he can make out the wicked scar across his throat and the snarl on his lips. There are popping noises all around him, and from thin air, Fay from all races are dropping to the courtyard, racing for him. A light blue-skinned Johnny with white hair and freckles. An older fairy man with a beard and a smart suit. A pale-skinned fairy woman dressed as a chef. And a dozen or so others, all bearing down on him, strikes and blades in hand. The world slows. Griff takes it all in in an instant. He sees the danger, sees the ivory glade before him, and the path that led him to this exact moment. Perfection! In imperfection! Griff winks at the charging of Freddy and pulls the valve open. A gout of lightning, as thick as a tree trunk, surges into Griff's back. It is just the first trickle as the cauldron explodes in lightning that cascades outward. As the energy begins to crisp his skin, turning flesh to ash and ash to dust, Griff roars as he plunges the red crystal point first into his chest, piercing that speck of raw magic. The storm intensifies as the raw magic hits him, roiling what was once a catastrophic storm into an apocalyptic event. The Fae who charged for him are vaporized. There one second, and gone the next, as the white-hot stock of lightning the width of several city streets erupts from Griff and towards the ivory blade. Griff takes one last look at Kalaith, only to see a woman appear next to her. She grabs Kalaith and they disappear in the telltale signs of teleportation. Griff is not sure what residual part of him feels the relief of her departure, but it washes over him. It is accompanied by a peace that he did not expect. It's as if he's floating the world ending around him, and he's separated from it all. He does not feel his limbs vaporize or his body turn to ash. There's only peace and light, and then nothing. The lightning bomb explodes outward, destroying several blocks in its radius. The boom that follows destroys even more as the concussive blast levels buildings and sends stones flying for miles. And yet, it is a scratch on the surface compared to the beam of pure energy and heat that streaks towards the ivory glade. The lightning obliterates all in its path, disintegrating stone, melting, metal, and matter. It cuts through everything, including the hands of Amun who have arrived to perform their duty and defend the ivory glade. It breaks through the magical barrier that held the world back. It breaks through time and space to bring waste to all that had been built there. But in the blinding light and impossible heat, a figure composed of an even brighter light steps forward, its hand raised. With no sound at all, the entirety of the lightning is channeled into the figure, the crackling residual energy pushed into a trickle that is absorbed and gone in an instant. Dare Olgar lowers his hand and shakes it scattering bits of crackling energy about him like disturbed fireflies. He brushes the hand off on his immaculate black suit as he descends the broken and cracked stairway. He passes piles of ash where his hands once stood, but does not stop to inspect them. Behind him, several other immaculately dressed Seelie appear at the top of the stairs. 
He turns to them and holds his hand out to stop them. They look about at each other and then nod, transforming into figures of pure light that zip back into the untouched ivory glade. The square around Der Olgar is blackened and broken. Where once there was beauty, there is now ash. Where once there was metal, there is now slag. The very walls have melted, letting Olgar look out at the setting sun and the clouds of black smoke that wreathe parts of his city. He crosses the wasted expanse to the remains of the fountain. He touches it, and it crumbles to ash that catches in a sudden breeze. At the foot of the fountain is a metal husk melted beyond recognition. It sits on an untouched red crystal resting in a pile of ash. Olgar kneels, picking up the crystal and inspecting it in the light. With a wave of his hand, he conjures a glass jar that materializes as if from smoke. He places the crystal into the jar with a tinkling clatter and raises to leave, but pauses. He returns to kneeling and places his hand over a small pile of ash. His head turns in puzzlement and he scoops a handful of ash and places it into the jar. With a snap of his fingers, he seals the jar and swirls the ash and crystal around clockwise. The crystal begins to glow, and the ash picks up, swirling into a little tornado. Olgar's eyebrows raise slightly as a mirthless smile touches the corner of his lips. Interesting. Most interesting. Calais screams as she sees Griff plunge the crystal into his chest. Her hand raises the sacred geometry, coursing around it as she summons water magic. But before she can release it, small, strong arms wrap tightly around her, and there is a rushing sound. The world pops before her eyes. She feels herself torn away, far away, into a million tiny bubbles of effervescent life force, dissolving into nothingness until suddenly... With a rushing of what feels like gravity, she is flung back together and lands hard on a smooth blank floor of stone. Her bones jar from the impact, and she whips her head around, but her captor is no longer holding her. She is in a small octagonal room with only ornately carved arches for walls. It looks like a tower overlooking the city from a great height. The room has a domed ceiling and appears to be of no particular use except as a lookout point. Through the open walls, Calaith looks southward towards the haze and smoke and chaos of the city, but it appears as a landscape painting, distant and almost quaint, as though it were happening in some other city at some other time, rather than this city and right now. Calaith rushes to the open balcony, her mind orienting on her new surroundings. As her hands rest on the smooth marble railing, a flash of light stabs her eyes. She screams, recoiling as a terrifying boom chases the flash of light. She tightens her grip, anticipating the wave of force to crash over her, but it doesn't. There's only a small ripple as the light intensifies, feeling like it will go on forever, that it will consume the world. Just as she is about to resign herself to it, it vanishes, leaving her with a cold and sudden sense of dread. Be peace, child. 
You are well, yes? Kalaith whirls about at the new voice, her hand going up defensively, as the twins had taught her. At the opposite side of the room from Kalaith stands a woman, young and fresh-faced, with striking eyes that are at first pale blue, and then, suddenly, sparkling gold, as Kalaith looks directly at her. The young woman has narrow features, a kind of wind-blown playfulness about her, despite the intense look of concern on her face at the moment. Her mess of lovely hair falls cloud-like about her shoulders, pale at the tips, but fading upward into a wild, too-loud sunset red that frames her face like flames. She wears nondescript clothing, something that vaguely reminds Kalaith of a very old gray linen tunic, and draped trousers in a darker cloth. Everything flows about her small frame, but it's coarse and, and plain. She can barely be more than a teenager to Kalei's size, barely a youth by fey years. Where am I? Safe. For now, I will repeat myself. You are well, yes? No, I'm not. I demand. You must be fine to complain so shrill and loudly. This is very you. Kalei gets to her feet staring daggers at this strange newcomer, and draws a breath to demand that she will be returned to Griff's side immediately. But she stops short, as a flicker of a smile dances winsomely across the stranger's face. Something in Kalaith's chest gives way. A strange feeling rushes through her. You are to ask me, yes? You desire this. Ask you what? To know to whom you speak. There is a long pause. And although the voice in the back of Kalaith's mind screams at her that there is no time, she can't help but react slowly. Time feels different here, wherever here is, and what's more... No. I am surprised. This is an unusual feeling. I think I already know. Oh. Then I will allow you to say it. Kalaith's hands begin to tremble and her knees weaken. The moment she dreamed of, the, the moment she had been waiting for for so long, the young woman smiles benevolently, but with an impish quirk in her eyebrows, a quirk Kalaith has seen a million times in the mirror. Mother? This is correct. Kalaith feels her chest tighten, and the tide of emotion she has held back engulfs her. She sinks to her knees, the words tumbling from her. I knew it. I always knew it. These words. What did you know? That you weren't dead. We were told all our mothers were dead. Ha! <laughs> dead. This amuses me. Your father couldn't trudge me if he tried. Father? What does- Your father is not good. Your siblings' mothers are dead because he wanted them so. How did you not end up like them? Lutado thought to cast his net for a pretty fish, but pulled the leviathan from the deep instead. Why didn't you find me sooner? I needed you! I've been with you all along. I watched you as you grew. I visited you in many ways. I think I would have remembered you. Think back. Any time a stranger, a single figure, went out of their way to help you, hold you, serve you. Kalei's mind reels backwards in time. The first thing that comes to her mind is the night of her wedding, when she stumbled naked and numb into the streets. 
Her memory alights upon a figure, uh, an infridi woman, who came to her and shrouded her, bringing her to a place where she could rest and be hidden from prying eyes as she spilled her grief at the loss of Sandir. Her eyes grow wide as her memory focuses. The Afridi woman? I vowed I'd be at your wedding. I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening. Uh, are you going to help us fight? No. Well, that's rather blunt. <laughs> I cannot fight. At least not to the yet. You've done much. Some good, some not so good. The good we will strengthen. The not so good, it cannot go on in this way. And in fact, I will not allow it to. What do you mean? We have none of the time. I must see you to the safety before he finds you. Safety? Where? This is difficult for you. I see this. Be peace. Breathing is key. There is a sudden sound, like the pressure in the room has changed drastically, and a fairy materializes into the room, hands spread wide, eyes focused on Kalaith. He looks weary and travel-worn, not even remotely the same kind of figure that this stranger cuts against the pristine marble room. With the speed of a striking snake, the fairy is between them, a blade pulled from nowhere. Step back from her holiness, Nayadi. Warren, who is this? I said, step back. Make another move, and I will open you. Stop, voice of Amen. You stand in the presence of my daughter. The fairy turns slowly to the stranger, his eyes narrowing in skepticism, and then turning his blade back to Kalaith. Go on. I will make an introduction. Kalaith, you are meeting Warren Teague, voice of Amen. Warren Teague, you are meeting Kalaith Serene, fruit of my body. The fairy gapes at her for a moment, then relaxes his blade and straightens all business, all focus once more. Pleasure. Likewise. Holiness, there isn't much time. Your father- My father? No, no. Your father, Holiness. There's no time. The hands, they have all been- I have seen. I relinquish myself to your service as a proxy hand. What are your orders? Fetch the goblin. Goblin? What goblin? No need, no need. Oh, do not trouble yourselves. Oof. The three of them turn to see a bloodied Igly hobble his way out from behind a pillar with a groan. What the dare is happening? I thought this place was impossible to enter. This is the thought of me as well. Well, not if you have connected... Oh. <clears throat> not if you've connected your teleport stick, oh, sweet ma'am, to the individual that has already been admitted. I think I'm going to faint. Kalaith rushes to Igli as he collapses, catching him in her arms. Oh, Igli! What happened? How did you know I was here? I didn't. I just knew that wherever you were was safer than where I was. Look at you. You ruined your suit. <laughs> you should see the other Faye. <laughs> what happened? Were you caught in the destruction? Uh, Lumines's thugs attacked me after I sent you away. Uh, maimed a few, killed one or two, but they knew their art as well. Mm, I kept them as bay as long as I could, my dear. You did well, Igly. You did very well. Oh, cag it all. Why are you crying such tears? I'm not going to die. Here, just let me up so I... Oh, mm. 
Igli props himself up, taking in the room, the view, the marble, the hard-looking fairy, and the fae with golden eyes. Upon seeing her, Igli grows very still. His eyes, glassy with tears, he drops to his knees, bowing his head. Oh, your holiness. Igli, get up! Why do people call you that anyway, mother? Glaith, don't you know who this is? Do you know who this is? I have a fairly good notion, yes. Hence the bowing. This thing is not needed. We have none of time. Please, arise. Hold on, hold on. Lady Serene, do you know who this is? My mother. Min's death. Oh, Kaging Fen, of course. Of course she is. Oh, I should have known. I should have seen it. What have we done, Kulaith? What are you blabbering about? This is my mother, and that is that. Besides, she'll make all of this right for everyone. This thing you say is not possible. For all. For you? Yes. For all? No. But Gist and Griff are still out there. Your pixie is... somewhere. But she is too small, and not of my priority. Then surely we have time for Griff. Uh, he's down there in the square. We we only have to... Claith rushes to the balcony, gesturing emphatically, but the stillness of her mother stops her words. Her heart pounds, and the memory of the light creeps into her fears. Please. He chose. I have deep sorry for this. No. This is unacceptable. This is unfair. I lost everything. I lost Sandir already, and now I lose Griff. I do not accept this. You don't have a choice. We need to move. He's coming. Kalaith's mother sweeps across the room and pulls Kalaith into a deep hug, wrapping her small arms around Kalaith and squeezing her softly. Kalaith crumples into the embrace, overwhelmed by the entirety of this situation and the tender joy of finally being held by her mother. Holiness? It is to be all right, my darling. You are to be fine. Og Vivra. Kalaith's mother steps back. Her skin suddenly pure light, blinding and bright, her golden eyes flashing. Kalaith has to shield her own eyes against how bright she gleams. You will be patient, Hand of Amen. Warren covers his eyes, bowing his head in apology. The light abruptly goes out, and Kalaith opens her eyes again. Her mother, Og Vivra, the only daughter of the Dare and Mab, runs a hand gently across Kalaith's cheek. I have the sorry that it must be this way. And I have deep sorry that meeting again is not possible. No. You can't. You can't do that. Don't do this. Not when I've already lost everything. You have not the losing of all things. You have the holding of your life. So I will make sure you will hold it for much time. Og Vivra gestures with an open hand. Almost a dismissive flick, and a line of light splits the center of the room. The line turns, widening to the size of a door as it whirls and shimmers with color and light. This is my final giving of a gift to you. You and Igli will cross through this portal and into the safety. There will be no returning. There will be no argument. No discussion, no terms, no deals. We will both go through. 
You understand, yes? No. Please, we don't have time to argue with her. There is a strange look on Igli's face as he steps towards the portal. Kalaif peers into it over his head and sees what looks like long grasses rippling in the wind, wildflowers, a wide open sky with big fluffy clouds, and deep green forests just beyond. Beyond the border. But there is nothing beyond the wall. Really? But I can't leave you, Mother. You're all I have left. You are to the having of yourself. You are to the having of Igli. You are to the having of an escape. To the outer dares win. You are to the having of a chance at surviving. This is all that is needed. The outer dares win? Beyond the border, Kulaith. Outside the city. Vivra kisses Kulaith fiercely on the forehead. And Kulaith feels a sudden breath of life spread through her body. As though something long dormant had been awakened. From the corner of her eye, she watches as Igli steps to the portal, his wounds seemingly forgotten, a long, dormant joy upon his face. Hmm. What in the world am I going to do now, I wonder? What dreams are real and which are false? Does it even really matter in the end, as long as we simply dream? Viva takes Clay's face in her hands, meeting her eyes and placing her forehead against Clay's as she whispers. You were my choice. Forbidden though you were to be, you were my choice to have. I hold love for you, my daughter. Go and live. My Og, we must send her through. Your father. Agreement. I can feel father's anger. He is to the sense of something amiss in the glade. I will go to him and stall. No, Hand of Amen. You will go to the protecting of my daughter. From now until your death, she is your charge, and he is to be your hand, Kalaith. Both are understood, yes? Yes, my Og. Yes, Mother. Then go. Warren takes one final look at Vivra, bows low, and then steps through the portal. Like in a dream, Kalaith feels a push on her back, and she bounds through the shimmering portal into the beyond. Her blonde hair streaming behind her like a banner, and the portal snapping shut behind her. It disappears, as neatly as a lady's powder compact, seamlessly, as though it was never there in the first place. The sun is setting on the hill, where the three of them stand. Beyond them they see hills of grass awash in golden light, and beyond them, many, many miles away, Kalaith can see the faint outline of what looks like a massive wall, with smoke rising from it. I could sit down and die right here, to be a happy goblin. Not yet, Igli. Not yet, please. My dear, I expect these old bones have a few more adventures in them. Oh, they do. I'll see to that. Well, what do we do, my lady? Let's see what's beyond that next hill, and we'll take it from there. Sun has set on the city of Amongrad, but none sleep. Fires rage in the Poshway. Destruction in Terristan has displaced many, and much of the immediate First Ward, including the Guild Halls, have been annihilated. Chaos reigns in the perfect city of Amongrad as night lays its black cloak over the city. In a ruined Warden Station in Terristan, on a broken desk, sits Gist the Pixie, 
looking out of the destroyed wall at the dark neighborhood. She sighs deeply, wiping away what is left of tears. The sound of footsteps make her jump, and she turns to see a human man walk into the room. He stops, looking to her, and then down the abandoned hallway. Sorry, I didn't realize anyone was here. It's okay. I'm not anyone. I'm just a pixie. Sure. You alone here? I worked at the station once. I thought I'd come here and see if I could help. But it's destroyed. Just like everything else. It's been kind of a day. You can say that. I do say that. Never seen another day like it. Lots of folks in trouble today. Can I help you with something, sir? Do you need help? Uh, no, not really. Oh, okay. You mind if I sit? Just waves her hand dismissively, and the human sits. He's older, probably in his early forties, but his blonde hair is patched with gray. He scratches absent-mindedly at a trim beard that complements his angled face. His clothes are hardy and well-kept. As he sits, he rests a large pack of equipment at the side of the desk. <sighs> nice night for sitting. I guess so. Never seen the city so dark, though. Usually it's lit up like an omen-time display. I'd rather it be dark. Then you can't see the horrible stuff that's happening right in front of you. Eh, darkness never helps anyone for long, though. Eventually things come to light, and when they do, you can either run away from it, or... The human pulls a glass jar from his bag and flicks it. The jar ignites in a soft blue glow as a miniature lightning storm flares inside. Just's eyes go wide. She flies up to the jar to inspect it. You can use that light to lead you to new places. Where did you get that? I picked it up somewhere. Can't remember now. I had a friend who used these. Oh, did you? And who was this friend of yours? His name was Griff. Griffin Hood? Yeah, you know him? No, not really. I should have, though. Are you a weather thief like he was? Was? Griff died today. <laughs> the human's breath catches, and he has to sit down on the broken desk to keep from falling. Just looks up at him, concerned. You okay? Was it the attack? I... Did he die in the weather attacks today? Not exactly. Griff was the one who set off the weather bombs. So you didn't see him die? No, but I know he's gone. I just know it somehow. I see. I know he did it for a good reason, but he didn't have to die, did he? From what I've heard of Griffin Hood, he, he didn't do anything halfway. Then you do know him? I asked after him a lot. Friends I knew knew him, kept tabs on him for him. Why do that? Griff ever tell you about what happened to his parents? They were killed by an Afridi. Something about a game gone wrong? Mostly true. Finn and Vera Hood were good friends of mine that died to entertain an Ifridi couple's twisted curiosity on what burning humans sounded like. From what I heard, they burned them alive in front of Griff. Amen. It's no wonder he hated them. When I heard what happened, I tried to collect him, but by the time I got there, he'd already skipped off. I looked for him a few years, but could never find him. It was like... He didn't want to be found. Yeah. That was Griff. He didn't want you around. He made sure you weren't. I picked up his trail again when he was about 18 or so. He did a job for my then-employer, Mafana Sardeo. Word of it got back to me, and I wanted to see him, 
make sure he was okay. But Iggly Twitchwiggler had already gotten his hooks in him by then. You got a problem with Iggly? <laughs> well, we've been on opposite sides of situations too much, and he doesn't approve of the way I do business. Jist's eyes go to the weather jar and back to the human. They narrow slightly as the idea forms in her head. What? What is your business? I kill people for money. With stolen weather magic. With weather magic. Just sees the pieces begin to fall into place. Dead pixies, a shattered weather jar, a mysterious human man and woman beneath a bridge. Her tiny fists clench as her eyes settle on the human's temple. A single hit there could kill him before he even knew what was happening. Her wings flutter slightly, preparing to catapult herself, but she stops. Taking a look out into the night at the smoke and destruction, she knows what she wants and what she can do to get it. But there was another pixie who got what he wanted at all costs today, too. Her wings sag and she sighs deeply. I don't think anyone should kill anyone. Life is too short to end before it's time, no matter what they've done. Besides, after today, enough people have died to last a lifetime. You know, for the first time in years, I think I agree. I've done a lot of bad things in my life, and the one good thing I ever made, I let down. I only regret he'll never know me, or the truth. That you're Griff's father? The human's head jerks in Gist's direction, and she can't help but laugh at his expression. How did you know? <laughs> it's pretty obvious. You had a dangerous life, you wanted to make sure your son lived free of it, and from your influence— but instead, he ended up more like you than ever. Just flies up to the human's face, inspecting him. You even look like him. Except old. I've killed men for saying less. Good thing I am not a man, then. What's your name? You can call me Jacob. I'm Gist. It's a pleasure to meet you, Jacob Griff's father. She holds out her little hand, and Jacob puts his pinky finger to her. She touches it, and they shake. The pleasure's all mine. Sounds like a storm's coming. Ugh, I don't do water. They must be trying to put out the fires somewhere. What should we do? We can stay here, or... We can go out and help some people? I was thinking that exactly. I know what you did, Jacob. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I know that killing you won't solve anything. All right. Maybe we can make up for it by doing good. I'm going to make you do good from now on, okay? I think so. All right. Let's go help people then, huh? Just zooms out into the night as Jacob grabs his pack and slips it on. He barely takes two steps before Just zooms back up to him, landing on his shoulder and pulling. Hurry up! We don't have much time, Griff! Just stops pulling, her face a mask of shock at what she has just let slip. She calms her features and flies up in front of his face. I mean, Jacob. It's okay. I know what you meant. Shall we go and make some change? I think that's already happened. The winds of change have already blown through. I don't know where they're going to lead, though. Jacob smiles, opening his pocket for her to climb into as the two head out of the broken building and into the night. The skies open gradually, and before long, their forms disappear behind a curtain of rain.
Winds of Change featured the following performers. Bill Gordon, Griffin Hood. Mary-Kate Arnold, Calaith Serene. Mel D'Amato, Elspeth Selzy. Justin Blankenship, Will Wrightwheeler. Kate Booth, Gist. J.J. Littlefield, Alec Puffleton. Shanna Brown, Quillard Selzy. Lady Shrewsbury Ginor, Servant Two, and Rando. Nathan Thompson, Igly Twitchwiggler III. Amy Powell, Pixie One, Zandai Serene, and Wink. Frank Gasparo, Jangle Bell. Alexis Cohen Penna, Casey the Maid, and Johnny Guard One. Eli Kurtz, Umber Drame, Johnny Guard Two, and Warren Teague. Stephen Kropa, Jardane Fleet. Cat Cool, Lady Luminessa Ardeo. Pranks Paul, Forgan. James D'Amato, Jacob Craythorn. Drew Merzieski, Narrator, Lutato Serene, and Dare Olgar. Ali Grauer, Narrator, Alice Mortimer, and Og Vivra. Background music was provided by Kevin McLeod. You can learn more at incompetech.com. The theme music for Warda was written and performed by Arnie Parrott. He can be found at atptunes.com. Sound effects were pulled from freesound.org. A complete listing of the used sounds will be available in the show notes on the website. If you enjoyed this audio production, consider supporting Warda on patreon.com slash whimsyartifice or making a one-time donation at ko-fi.com slash welcome to Warda. Warda is a proud part of the OneShot Podcast Network, alongside other fantastic tabletop game-related podcasts such as Campaign, Backstory, Modifier, Design Doc, Adventure, Asians Represent, The Broadswords, Neoscum, Character Creation Cast, Talking Tabletop, System Mastery, and of course, OneShot. Visit OneShotPodcast.com to learn more. Warda will continue with new stories in a series of glimpses followed by a return to long form in Warda, Storms of War. That's all for now. Thank you for listening.